What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest is Mary Thingvall. She's the Director of Developer Relations at Comunda and the author of the book, The Business Value of Developer Relations. I love talking to Mary. Every time we dive in, we just end up going down crazy rabbit holes of theory and philosophy around community strategy and how businesses are building community. She's one of the most experienced people I know when it comes to developer relations and helping businesses build their community programs, specifically when they're trying to build community of developers or for a technical audience. She literally wrote the book on it. In this conversation, we cover a whole range of topics around what it means for a business to build community or developer relations program, her three pillars of developer relations, Uh, how to build a community team. And she actually developed a career path for her community team and describes the different levels that they use that you can use for your own community teams, as well as practical advice for how to build community. So much good stuff in this episode. Let's dive in. All right. Well, Mary, thank you for joining us on the show. Very excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We've had lots of great conversations about community and developer relations over the years. All of them have been in private. So now we get to do it on the podcast for others to hear. Exactly. You're, in my opinion, one of the top thought leaders when it comes to developer relations and someone who has a really good understanding and and viewpoint of the entire industry. But you've you've done the work yourself and you've gone in-house again now building developer communities for an organization. So can you just take a minute to tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got to this point? It always throws me off when someone refers to me as a thought leader just because it's not... It's the worst. It's, <laughs> I, I apologize. I'm no, sorry. you're fine. It's just, it's such a weird concept to me. I think partly because I feel like I've learned so much through just trial and error and building resources because there haven't been resources out there. And so I'm determined to learn as much as I can so that I can help myself as well as help others. Um, But I actually have a journalism background. I didn't really know community management was a thing, definitely didn't know developer relations was a thing. But I graduated from school at a time when blogs were taking off and the internet was taking off. And so all of the newspapers were letting go of their editorial staff. And so I actually wound up at a company called O'Reilly Media, which is a tech media publishing company, and wound up in their public relations department, writing press releases and talking to their reviewers, and just started asking the same types of questions that I was asking when I was writing feature stories in college, uh, along the lines of, like, how do we know what people want to hear about? How do we know what topics are interesting to folks? How do we actually know that these books are useful and meaningful to people beyond just the folks that are, you know, writing the reviews and that are getting free copies of our books. Uh, And basically asked enough questions and honestly, I think annoyed enough people by asking enough questions um, that I was kind of told, you know what, go, go figure out those answers, go talk to the community, focus on this particular topic and see what you can find out. And so I, as I started to do that, I started to realize, hey, there's other people out there who are doing similar types of things. I'm not the only person asking these questions. And so I kind of started delving into what does that mean and discovered community management and then a little bit of developer relations, um, which is basically at its simplest form, community management for a technical audience. And from there, jumped into a couple different companies. I worked at Chef Software, I worked at SparkPost, uh, and then I actually went independent for a couple years and founded a consulting service, mostly because I was seeing so many of the same patterns from my friends, from companies that I worked at, from companies that just didn't understand the value of developer relations and what it can bring back to the company and the way that it can truly set you apart in a day and age where we've got thousands, literally thousands of startups being funded every year. And so I just, I have a huge passion for, you know, creating resources and essentially creating the library of resources that I wish had existed when I got started. And so kind of going back to what are the questions that I was asking, what was I trying to figure out and making sure that those are now available for everyone else. 
Um, these days, like you said, I'm back full time. Uh, it's been a wild ride these last six months, but I'm incredibly grateful to be at a company called Comunda. They're a process automation company, and I'm building out a new developer relations team there, uh, working with them with their open source community and their developer community, and just really enjoying being back uh, at a place where I can apply a lot of the things that I was was working with clients on, um, and really being hands-on again for the first time in a while. Love it. And so you mentioned that you would see a lot of the same challenges that companies are facing, mm-hmm. and that's why you got into consulting. What what are those challenges? What are the things that you see companies continuously ask about and struggle with when it comes to building developer communities? Metrics is the big one, right, which is the same for community as well. Just trying to figure out what metrics do we track? What do we actually look at to deem this successful? Uh, I think especially for startups in these last few years, Developer relations has become this like buzzword of sorts that, you know, oh, if we're a tech community and we have a technical audience, we have to have this developer advocate on board. And so the company goes and hires a developer advocate, fully expecting them to come in and build the strategy and know exactly what to do, basically having no training program in place for that person in any way whatsoever or a plan in place. And so they get this really enthusiastic developer who likes speaking at conferences, who likes engaging with the community, who then goes, cool, tell me what to do. What metrics do you need? And the company kind of goes, uh, I I don't know. That's you. You're supposed to tell us that. Figure it out. (laughs) Right. And so, so many times I've seen really enthusiastic, really passionate individuals join these companies and within a year be back to engineering or back to product marketing or product or somewhere else entirely, sometimes not even in tech anymore, because they're so tired of trying to figure out how do I prove that my job is valuable? Because this company that hired me said, hey, we desperately need someone to do this. We believe in the power of what you can do but we're not giving you any guidance or information mm. or professional development or mentorship or anything. And weird. so it's, it's weird that they wouldn't be successful. Right. Imagine that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of companies end up hiring, you know, this like cheerleader persona for community mm-hmm. roles. A lot of the time yeah. it's like the person who's got a lot of energy mm-hmm. and a great voice and, you know, they're, they're essentially an advocate in a way and and they're a people person mm-hmm. and they get people excited um but that's very different than a community professional yeah. who understands how to do that work at scale like beyond themselves right because mm-hmm. if you're the only cheerleader then then you're limited by how many people you can speak to and how many events you can be at you're not really building community right. and i think that's a i i I see a lot of developer advocacy programs that are that, right? They mm-hmm. just are like someone whose job it is to be out there advocating. They're not necessarily building community. Do you, do you think there's a big difference between community and developer relations or developer advocacy? I think there can be when the person who's interested with that job doesn't understand the full scope of the responsibility. And I think that's one of the biggest things. I often actually go back to a quote that I heard from you from one of the early studies that you did. It was at CMX New York, which tells me it was probably 2015, maybe. stopped doing that a few years ago. (laughs) Um, But you made a comment about how most community programs that fail, fail because they don't have the internal support that they need. That's right. And the biggest issue that I've seen is that, you know, folks are putting these cheerleaders out there, which to be clear, like that's a huge part of the job is getting people excited and getting people interested in what you're doing and getting them on board. But then the second half of the role is cool. How's it going? What else do you need? What resources are you interested in? What resources would be helpful? Let me make sure that I'm getting your feedback and then actually doing that advocacy of let me take that feedback and that information you've given me and translate it back to marketing, engineering, product, sales, back at my company. Mm -hmm. And that translation piece, I use that word specifically because it really is a, a need, there is a need to translate that information back because you can't just take the raw 
hey, I struggle with step number four in your documentation. Like, no, it's not good enough. Why do you struggle? What's the real actual issue that you're running into? What's the actual solution that you're looking for? Because that might be completely different. And then taking that information back to the product team and saying, hey, so this part of the product isn't working well, or to engineering and saying the docs aren't clear in this section or to marketing and saying, hey, this marketing message really isn't working because that's not actually the problem that the community is trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And so that translation piece, I think, takes a lot of mentorship, takes some empathy, takes a lot of communication skills that Mm -hmm. folks who are coming solely from a development background and only have practice in or experience in coding and speaking at conferences and things might not have yet. And that's not to say they can't build it, right. but if they're a single person team at a brand new startup that doesn't have the time and energy to mentor them and they're not getting mentorship from elsewhere, they're being set up for failure because you don't have the opportunity to learn how do I craft this message? How do I take the message in, the feedback in from the community and craft it in a way that my coworkers actually understand the needs and can implement those needs Mm -hmm. so that I can go back to the community and say, hey, I advocated for this on your behalf and here's the end result. How's it working for you now, right? To be able to close that feedback loop. Yeah. It's almost like companies look at community as a personality trait Mm -hmm. rather than a profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where, I mean, going back to the thought leader comment earlier, like, That's where (laughs) companies hire thought leaders and they go, cool, we've got a thought leader. So everyone's going to listen to this person and everyone's going to pay attention to what they say. And they don't actually take the time to figure out, like, is this thought leader actually listening? Not just spouting information, but are they listening to the community and taking that feedback into account? Right. I actually, I had a fascinating conversation um, at Komunda about this recently because I just launched a career path for my team. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that I have in there is um, the attribute of influence. And as you grow in your career and move from phase to phase of this path, this idea that, you know, the influence grows from just like being willing to accept feedback and learn and, and grow in that area and learn the few people at your company that you can really relate to and work with to being influential in the entire industry. And one of our senior leadership came back and was like, Oh, okay. So you mean a thought leader? And I was like, no, (laughs) no, I do not (laughs) Let me correct you (laughs) (laughs) because so often these thought leaders are looked to as, or people who are named as thought leaders are looked to as these, you know, people who proclaim these things and they aren't, people who are engaging with the community and listening to the community and then bringing that feedback back to the company or implementing that feedback into their own work. And so it's very specifically a conversation, not a proclamation, if you will. Mm. I've tried to like define the different archetypes of community professionals before Mm -hmm. as well. I'm curious if you have thoughts on have you seen different types of roles? Because I think both are useful and important. Like, it's not to say the thought leader advocate type isn't useful to a business. Like, it's helpful to have somebody who's perceived as an expert and has a great reputation Mm -hmm. in an industry to to have that person out there representing your brand and and advocating on your behalf. Um, That's not a community builder right. per se, but it can be a prerequisite to community. And especially if you're a, a younger brand that doesn't have a community established yet, mm-hmm. you know, that, that person's expertise and reputation, it, it's trust. It's trust that that person has. And you can translate that trust into trust in the brand and trust in a community. Yeah. People don't always take that leap, but mm-hmm. it's it's possible. Yeah. But I, I kind of see these different kinds of roles that community professionals take intentionally or unintentionally, mm-hmm. whereas some like to be, even if it's not advocating externally to the rest of the world, but even within their own community, right. they're the community professionals who like to be the ones that are very forward-facing, very front-facing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm that way. I like to be, yeah. you know, kind of like, facilitating discussions and sharing my thoughts and triggering discussions and debates. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it is a part of the role that I play. 
And then you have community professionals who are more operational. Maybe they like to be behind the scenes more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not mutually uh, independent either. Like you can have someone who likes to do both. Right. But you, you kind of see people tend to fall into one of a few buckets, like either more operationally minded and likes to be behind the scenes and just kind of facilitating and making connections. Um, and then the person who likes to be more of that community leader advocate yeah. uh, at the forefront. Absolutely. And I think there's a an important role for each of those people to play. And the biggest thing for me is figuring out, and I did this a lot when I was consulting, what's what's the goal? Exactly. Why do you want to have an advocate on board right now? Why do you want to have a community manager on board right now? What are you looking to accomplish with this program? Mm-hmm. And then based on what their goals are, cool, you're looking for someone to be out there advocating, out there evangelizing, if you will, or being the ambassador of for your product, right? Mm-hmm. Versus And working on the awareness side of things versus looking for an advocate who's going to be focused more on the enablement Mm -hmm. as well as the awareness, but far more invested in that feedback loop, far more invested in getting people to a point where they're successful with your product. Mm -hmm. And then community, right? It could be online, it could be in person, but making sure that folks are engaged with each other, making sure Mm -hmm. they're engaged with the developer relations team, and then making sure they're engaged with your other coworkers. So Mm -hmm. engaging people back with Uh, the marketing team, if they're interested in writing community contributed content or use case studies or working with your product team, if they have very specific product feedback or your engineering team, if they're looking to solve a bug, right? So figuring out where those places I can engage someone and really plug them back in is really important. But I think that all depends on what's what's the company goal, not just why do you want a community? Oh, well, that's the new cool thing to do. We need that to (laughs) be successful. But like, cool. What's your company goal this quarter? Are you working on just general awareness? Great. Hire the ambassador type who's going to be the thought leader in that area who can get a lot of eyes on your product and on your content. Or you're working on making a better product and enabling more developers. Cool. Get a dev advocate in there who also has some experience in the developer experience, user experience side of things who can really make a super quality product based on the feedback that they're getting from the community versus like, no, 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 we've got a community already. We have a group of people who are using our product. Mm -hmm. We just need to figure out a way to engage with them more. Cool. Go with a solid, in this case, semi-technical or at least tech savvy Mm -hmm. community manager who can facilitate those conversations and connect the people within the community as well as back to your company. Totally. I I think for both of those types, the question is, and then what? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so you went out and spoke and advocated and got people excited, and then what? Yeah. What did that add up to? Right. What measurable outcome did that drive? And it's the same. So you facilitated discussions and you built community and you created this awesome message board or event, and then what? Right. Um, and, and you can find people who are naturally good at those two things. You can find people who like, yeah, their personality trait is they're really good at connecting people or really good at advocating. But the the profession, the skills that it takes to do this work in a way that actually can be successful at mm-hmm. a business requires that and then what? Absolutely. And then we impacted our retention rates. We are able to see that our programs led to increased product adoption. Mm -hmm. We're able to measure this over time. This is how it integrates with other departments in our company. All these things that, you know, I think we as an industry need to hold ourselves accountable to as well Mm -hmm. if we want to be taken seriously as a profession the same way sales or marketing or product or any other department is. If we want community to move beyond just being like, oh, you're a people person into you are a professional, you would need to answer the and then what. Absolutely. And I like that distinction because I think that's the piece that so many businesses miss as well with the like, cool, we need someone to do this first half and we don't take the time to figure out the second half. Right. They don't know. Right. Right. And one of the things that I continually tell anyone who's getting into the industry who is super excited about a new job is like, cool, what what are your metrics? Mm-hmm. What are you putting out there as metrics? And more often than not, if it's someone joining a one-person team, or they are the one-person team, rather, at a new company... 
they're like, oh, well, I'm not being asked for those yet. I'm like, cool. So figure out what they are now. You will be. (laughs) Because you will be. Exactly. And the more you can be prepared for that question, the more you can be anticipating that question, the better off you're going to be. Because worst case scenario, no one asks you for those metrics for a year and you've now tracked them for a year and you have the information to then show basically within an hour or so, if someone comes back to you and says, hey, by the way, we have a board meeting tomorrow or, hey, you know, we're making cuts and we're trying to figure out what to do. Can you show me why your team is valuable? You aren't scrambling to pull together metrics from the last year and trying to figure out what metrics might be valuable, Mm -hmm. but you can look and go, cool, here's the metrics I've been pulling. And then I would say, don't stop there. Um, one of my really good friends, Matt Broberg says metrics don't have an opinion Mm. and it's true. Like they're just numbers, but it's what you do with those metrics that count. It's the storytelling around those metrics that makes the difference. You can't just say, Hey, here's the traffic stats from the website for the last year, but you can say, here's the traffic stats from the website for the last year. Here's the dates when we published these technical tutorials on the blog, Here's the direct result of, you know, people spent more time on the site or people went to other interesting content from that blog post or right. people downloaded our open source software as a result of that. Right. And figuring out what's the story around that, not just, hey, here's the metrics, here's the traffic. Right. Because anyone can pull those metrics, but it's the how do you connect that back to the work that your team is doing mm-hmm. as well as the goals that the company has to show you want to keep us around because here's the direct line of value that we are providing back to the company. 100%. And a lot of people have the argument that, well, you can only really get correlation, not causation. Like, how do you know people, mm-hmm. your community is driving more retention or is it just your most loyal customers are more active in your community? Sure. But uh, I love I love this conversation because now I've, I've talked to, you know, lots of people in marketing and sales and it turns out it's the same shit. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like we can't <laughs> prove that someone no. bought our product because they read this article or they saw this ad. Right. But we know it was part of their experience. It's part of the customer f- journey, right? <laughs> exactly. It's all part of this cohesive experience. And yet, like when we talk about community, it's like, well, you can't prove that right. that community event drove those sales. Like what if, right. you know, they had other experiences like, yeah, that's true. I mean, ultimately, all we're talking about is relationships with people. That's what marketing is. That's what sales is. That's what community is. Yes. And I think part of the reason and this is total hypothesis on my part, but part of the reason I think DevRel teams, community teams tend to get more pushback is because we're a little more hesitant when we produce those metrics because we don't know if that's exactly the right thing we should be doing. Mm. And so instead of, you know, marketing that goes, no, we know if this hits up in the customer journey, then it goes to this thing. It's useful in these ways. It's beneficial because of this. We kind of go, well, but I think this blog post caused this thing. And I think that this talk might have contributed to the spike in geographic, you know, regional. We're too honest. Right. Community builders are too too (laughs) authentic. We're like, well, we don't want to take full credit. Exactly. There's a lot of caveats to this, whereas sales is like, I drove these results clearly. See here? That's the story. Yeah. And I I think we're at a point now where we can go, no, like we know good content drives awareness. We know that that's an important benchmark for people as they're considering using a new product. We know that talking to people at a conference and us providing real insights into the industry or helping them solve a problem or even just spending time and getting to know them makes them remember us, which makes them remember the company, which means they might come back down the road. Like These are things that we've shown through surveys, through experience through anecdotes. And there's this, I think, impression among business people in general that anecdotes aren't enough to prove data. But there's this nice little phrase called anecdotal data. (laughs) It literally has the word data in it. And so it's one thing that I come back to a lot that like, No, if you get enough of these anecdotes, you can say definitively, this thing does this. It results in this, at least part of the time. And so I think part of it is we lack 
the confidence because we don't have the experience as an industry. And part of it, like you said, is we're, we're too nice. We don't want to claim full responsibility because we know that it's not completely on us. We know that it's teamwork across the entire company. But I think we need to be really firm and really strong in saying, I contributed to these successes for the company. I bring this value, period, end of story. Absolutely. You have a concept that I really like for describing this because, you know, if we're looking at marketing, we're looking at sales, we're looking at customer support, we're looking at customer success. These are all touch points and they all have varying degrees of impact on results, right? Mm -hmm. And so what do they do? Uh, They have a way of qualifying the quality of those leads, of those interactions, right? So you have sales qualified leads and marketing qualified leads. Mm -hmm. Generally, marketing qualified leads aren't as strong as sales qualified leads because marketing means like, all right, they've like read our content and they're in our market. Sales qualified leads is, okay, they've actually moved into being a prospect or an opportunity. We've validated that they're a good fit for our product. Mm -hmm. And they have this way of measuring these different touch points and these different interactions to say, this is how that ad or that experience impacted that person's decision to buy our product or continue to buy our product. And it turns out that community is an extremely strong qualifier Mm -hmm. for leads. Absolutely. And if someone's an active, engaged member in your community, then that's a good sign that they are a qualified person to spend more time working on. And so that's something that you've shared, Mm -hmm. this term called community qualified leads. Yes. And I love that framing. Can you talk a little bit more about like what that is and and how that actually works in practice? Absolutely. So part of it is, you know, goes right down the same trail as marketing qualified leads and sales qualified leads, where if there are community members that we know are engaged in our community that are asking a lot of questions that are interested in what we're doing or perhaps engaged in our open source version of our product and kind of on the fence as far as the enterprise version goes, those are people that are extremely valuable to surface when it comes to conversations with the sales team and not necessarily passing along all of that information and the contact information to those those community members. But that's incredibly important information to pass along to your your sales operations team um, so that they can keep that in mind as they're trying to figure out who sh- what company should we be reaching out to next. And if you can say, hey, we've got 20 developers from this company in our forum who are actively engaging, that gives your sales team additional metrics by which to gauge what company should we be doing inbound sales to next, right? Or outbound sales to next, excuse me. And also, I think expanding that idea of leads to not just be what are what can go to sales, but what community members are beneficial to the company as a whole. What value can they bring? And so it could be you pass these leads along to marketing, like I said earlier, for the community contributed content mm-hmm. or for case studies. It could be community members that are speaking at conferences and we can amplify the work that they're doing and amplify that content that's produced afterward as well. It could be, you know, really good conversations with product that you pass along to the product feedback that you then pass along to the product managers for that particular product. But there's all of these different areas, you know, for recruiting as well. If you have a community member who knows your product from top to bottom and you suddenly have a great opening that they might be a good fit for passing that person off to recruiting. And the interesting thing for me is that these are connections that we're usually making anyway, right? It's nothing new for us to go, oh, hey, this person would be a good person for the sales team to be aware of or for marketing to be aware of. So it's stuff that we're doing in our day-to-day jobs But keeping track of it in this systematic way means that at the end of the quarter, we can surface that and go, hey, by the way, in addition to this work output, we also, you know, surfaced 20 community qualified leads or DevRel qualified leads Mm -hmm. that have direct value back to the company. And you can say, like, you know, not all of them necessarily pan out. Not everyone that you refer to recruiting is going to get recruited or getting hired. Not everyone you pass up to sales. Right. It's the pipeline. And part of the reason why I came around to this idea is because there are so many teams that I was seeing who, you know, hey, we're responsible for a hackathon next quarter. Mm -hmm. Great. What are your metrics for the hackathon? Well, you (laughs) know, hiring. 
Well, so attendees was part of it, but I actually ran into a team when I was consulting where their metri- their success metric for the hackathon was whether or not X number of people got hired at the company. Mm. Oh, interesting. And I went, hang on, <laughs> that's not your job. Like, you aren't in those interviews. You can't influence that other than saying, hey, this person's a part of the community and would be awesome fit for this team. Right. It's not your role to make sure that they get hired and onboarded and that they have a successful time at your company. It's your responsibility to make that connection. You're part of that journey. Right, exactly. And so identifying those points in the customer journey or the potential hire journey or the feedback journey where DevRel or community has had a significant influence is the same thing as saying, hey, that's an MQL, that's a marketing qualified lead, right? Totally. But it gives it credibility because it's a term that's already understood on the business side of the business. It's a term that most people are familiar with and know the value of. And so by adopting that term, we're not sitting there going, uh, so we we made a connection. We have five five connections that we made to the community. Like, who cares about connect? Like, cool, that's fine. You're good. Like, no, we made this many qualified leads and people are going to go, wait, what? Yeah. What do you mean? Qualified leads? Oh, oh, okay. Community qualified leads. Ooh, I like that. Right. Like it gives it some, some weight in a, in a position that needs that credibility. It gives us the ability to say, here's the value that I am contributing back. hundred percent. And so, so much of this is like the language that we use and, you know, you came from journalism, most community professionals, came from education, from yeah. nonprofits, from not business. Right. I, I'm, I think I'm one of the only community people I know that went to business school. Right, right. And so this is a struggle for a lot of community teams. Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle for a lot of businesses to use community language because they're thinking mm-hmm. about things in terms of qualified leads. And then a community person is like, well, what about relationships? Right. And they're like, what? What? What does that mean? How do we quantify that? Yes. Yeah. So it's funny, the the way that I came around to community qualified leads, because it was not always that term, speaking of being a journalism background and being terrible at naming things, <laughs> in my book, I referred to this concept as warm handoffs. Mm. And I was at a client and told them about this concept, and the, the CTO is head of the department, and he was like, look, this is a great idea, I love this concept, I cannot go to our board and say, our DevRel team had... 50 warm handoffs this quarter. <laughs> like, I can't. It's, yeah. They're not going to buy it. They're going to look at me like I'm ridiculous. Like, they're going to laugh me out of the room. I need a better term for it. And I was like, well, I mean, they're basically qualified leads. And he was like, done. Uh, okay. Like, <laughs> then use that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Oh, yeah. huh? Okay, cool. <laughs> I love that. I, I mean, our, our head of sales reminds me of this all the time. He's really He's someone who really understands both community and sales, working with a community product and CMX and also leading our sales. His name is Stephen Brody. And and he always kind of brings that exact kind of um, framing up. He's like, what would a CMO need to bring to their board meeting? Yes. And like, it's not how many people showed up to your events or how many people participate in your community. Mm-hmm. It's not warm handoffs. It's like they will show up and they need to show leads. They need to show bottom line impact. Yeah. And if it's not showing up in the board meeting, then it's not really going to be that important to a business. Right. When it comes down to it, at the end of the day, they can say they value community all they want. Mm-hmm. But if it's not something that the CMO or the CEO is excited and pumped to bring to the board meeting, it's not going to be a priority. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, if it's not a priority, you don't get budget. If you don't get the budget, you don't get the team. You don't have any time left in your day because you're the one person that's doing 17 jobs that community managers get asked to do. Right. And somehow, even with your low budget, you're still the first one to get cut when Mm -hmm. companies have to do layoffs. Exactly. Exactly. Which takes us back to why I started consulting in the first place, because that was the biggest pattern that I was seeing. <laughs> That's, yeah, really. Hopefully. We've come full circle. I think we've like I, we're seeing that improve in the industry. Um, and yes. we're seeing more teams figure this stuff out. And mm-hmm. that's amazing. I mean, you and I have been in this industry for, what, a decade? Yeah. I'm sure you're seeing it, too. Like companies are starting to figure this out. There's more and more examples. And, and when they do, I mean, holy cow. 
the the scale that these teams are able to reach. They're running yes. thousands of events through community programs and they're impacting yeah. millions in pipeline that they can confident like we had multiple CEOs come to CMX Summit this year and and yeah. literally just they're like, Yes, we have driven seven million in ARR this year directly tied yeah. to community. Which is incredible. Like that was that was not something that you heard ten years ago, I even can five years ago. That. Yeah. Right, right. No, it's it's so encouraging to hear that. And it's been so encouraging to see the growth of the industry and to see a lot of it just start to be adopted as cool. We need this thing, not because it's a buzzword, but because we genuinely understand that this is what's going to set us apart from our competition. 100%. All right. So we've kind of we, we've banged our drums on the, the value of community, as you and I like to do. Yes. Um, but you also have a lot of really great frameworks and insights on how to get the job done, on how to actually build the community and have that impact. I know you use something called the three pillars of DevRel, which can apply to DevRel and community. What, what are those three pillars? So I referred to them a little bit earlier. It's awareness, enablement, engagement. And the idea behind this is that they, there's some overlap between all of them, of course, and overlap between the roles there. But the awareness is the letting people know that the products exist, letting people know that the solutions that your products provide are there, and also letting them know that the team is there to hear from them and to collect feedback and interested in, in being there for them and helping to solve problems. The enablement piece is really how do we take away any of the friction that people have as they're trying to get started? How do we make this the best possible product, the best possible way for them to get up and running? How do we really make sure that the experience that they have is an excellent experience? And then the last piece is engagement. And again, that's engaging community members with each other. So figuring out, you know, what are their common interests? What are some of the side projects that they're working on that you can kind of go, oh, hey, Megan, go meet David. The two of you have a lot to talk about because of these projects that you're both super invested in, right? It's also connecting people back to the company with the DevRel or community qualified leads. And then it's also making sure that you as those community professionals are engaging with that audience. And the roles that I see within developer relations, which is kind of that umbrella term for the whole industry, fall nicely within those pillars as well. And again, there's overlap, but it's a nice kind of, here's the chunk of what you're going to be doing, the majority of what your work looks like. So I see the developer advocates largely within that awareness piece, uh, speaking at conferences, building online tutorials, building sample applications, engaging with other kind of surface engaging with other communities that are similar, but are slightly removed from your immediate core community, which kind of goes into the engagement side of things a little bit. And then also the sample applications and integrations that help people get up and running more quickly. So if it's, you know, combining a few different products or making sure that your product runs on certain platforms, things like that, that help not only serve those those fringe communities, but also really at the end of the day, help your product and engineering teams figure out like, okay, this is something that can, we can actually build into the product now because we know that it's successful. So you're being beneficial to your coworkers too by kind of doing that experimentation of what, what works and what might we need in order to get awareness from different teams. Uh, the enablement piece is a, a developer experience role um, so a lot of the, you know, making sure the, the documentation is written, which can happen either by the engineering team or by the developer relations team, but that it's up to date, that it's kept up to date, that there's a standard around it, that there's uh, the getting started tutorials are correct. And the, the major metric around that is this thing called time to value. So how long does it take someone to get up and running with your product? And I, I tend to shy away from the, they must get up and running within eight minutes or less and go more for the, are they hitting any roadblocks along the way? Are there obstacles that they're running into? Are there points of friction that we can reduce? And you can see that through support tickets, right? Tagging support tickets with certain titles or tagging them with certain tags and then going back and talking to your head of support about, hey, what are the patterns you're seeing? What's the documentation we can prove? What are the uh, sample apps that we need to spin up? Which again, kind of goes into the developer advocacy side of things too. But figuring out, you know, what are ways we can support internally as well as externally. And then the last one is the engagement piece. And that I see as community management. It's really figuring out 
you know, who needs to be connected. And that to me is one of the biggest things that sets community managers apart is we're really good at making those connections and figuring out, you know, here's the little random tidbit of information that I learned about this person at a conference three years ago. And I ran into someone who has the same experience and I can connect the two of them. And the huge thing with that is that to me is one of the things that makes communities the stickiest it keeps people coming back, right? And there's people that I run into years later. I mean, I haven't worked at some of these companies in a decade and I'll have people come back to me and go, oh, hey, by the way, I just signed a a contract with O'Reilly to write a book and it's because I met you back in the day and blah, 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 blah. And like, (laughs) I haven't been at O'Reilly for nine years. Mm -hmm. Like, but, but I'm one of the people that they come back to to tell that because I was the one that originally, you know, introduced them to those specific community members that helped them get to the point where they're at now. Those are the best emails. When a community member comes in, like you, you, you did this thing that led to this thing that led to this thing. And now I'm here and we never get to see it happen. So when someone lets us know, that's like what keeps me going. Absolutely. I have a wins folder on, I think, every laptop I've ever owned that has screenshots and emails and stuff like that, just because that's that's the exciting piece, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you live for as this as this community manager role. So to, to what extent do you recommend, if I'm a community builder um, or I'm leading a DevRel team, mm-hmm. and so you have these three areas, um, and it kind of ties to like, you know, business and like customer. It's just like, how do you attract customers? How do you make them really successful, customer success? How do you mm-hmm. retain them and, and improve their customer experience? Um, to what extent should the the people leading these teams try to do these things themselves mm. versus empower the developers in the ecosystem to provide that to each other or to lead each other? Yeah. So I think there's a little of both, like all good things. It's not an easy answer, but I think there's, uh, it's always valuable to figure out who your allies are within the developer team at your company. If you're working with a developer audience, because I guarantee you, there will be some developers who love speaking at conferences or love writing content or are interested in those things, but just need a little push in the right direction or a little help with finessing an abstract or things like that. And so figuring out, you know, who are your allies internally who are interested in helping other people is the the easiest way that I've come around to kind of identifying those people who are going to be folks that I can go back to down the road. Because if they're invested in helping people around them and that's something that they're really driven by, then that's an easy jump from like, cool, you aren't comfortable actually writing things down. Can you sit with me for half an hour do a quick interview about the project that you built. I'll ghostwrite it for you, but let's let's get this up and running. So I think relying on some of those people throughout your company is a great way to scale your team. As far as if you are the manager of the team, that's more difficult. And I think that's something that every new manager struggles with. I know it's something that I've struggled with uh, is figuring out, you know, how much time can I spend being the person on the ground doing this versus mm-hmm. my job is to enable my team and to enable the the company and to help people at the company understand the value. And I think if you have a team of people that you are managing, that's your role is to enable. It might be to, you know, flesh out initial proposals for new programs and things like that as well, or at least assist in doing that. But a big part of it is enabling people to be able to do that successfully and kind of expanding on their experience and and giving them some of your wisdom, passing that down so that they have a, a more successful experience with it. You mentioned that you've kind of been working on developing the career path for your team. Is that kind Mm -hmm. of how you see it developing in terms of, I don't know, a hierarchy or or different levels? Like what what are the stages of a community career path in your mind that someone can move through? So right now, the the path that we have internally um, has four different steps. It has uh, your associate and then the like standard community manager, developer advocate, senior, and then principal. And we haven't 
moved from, okay, what if you want to go into management? That's, that's step two. <laughs> so none of those are management. None of those are management. Mm-hmm. Those are all individual contributor roles. Um, and the main reason for that is because my team is individual contributors right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to make sure that that was in place to help them see what their career could be well, and where they the can grow within our team. Exactly. I'm the manager. Yeah. And what's your role? Uh, it's a lot of things. <laughs> You're probably doing both, right? You're you're probably pretty hands-on and managing people. I am, yeah, for a number of projects. Um, one of the biggest things for me right now is enabling my team to be better at what they're doing. And so whether that's bringing them together and helping them collaborate, because up until now, they've been fairly individual people working on their own separate projects, which is great because it means they're fairly autonomous. And they're all around the globe, which is nice that you're able to be autonomous when people are scattered 19 hours apart. But a lot of it's been enablement. A lot of it's been just making sure that they have the tools and equipment that they need. So standardizing some of the processes across the team, making them more efficient and more able to do the work that's in front of them without a lot of the behind the scenes stuff getting in the way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So setting up processes like uh, a CRM for us to keep track of community members and conversations that we're having so that we can then attribute those back to here's the direct sales numbers, here's the direct content, all of those types of things. What are you using for that? We integrated with the the system that our company was already using. So we're doing HubSpot um, and then that syncs up to Salesforce. And the biggest reason why I wanted to use things that we were already using is because it's so much easier to connect it to accounts that already exist Mm -hmm. rather than we're using a totally separate system that has walls and parameters so people can't contact. You have to connect it back. I, I think there's an opportunity for a community CRM that mm-hmm. specifically helps you manage relationships and and the things that would essentially qualify those leads. Yes. But like that data needs to feed into and ultimately live mm-hmm. on the system that the rest of the team is using as well. Completely agree. Completely agree. And when we started talking about that internally, there was actually the option of like, well, we can set up a separate HubSpot instance for you. It was like, please don't. <laughs> No, no, no. Like I, I want my team's notes to be in there for, you know, if this is someone that's bubbled up to an MQL or an SQL, I want the salesperson to know we've been in contact so that they can reach out to us and say, hey, right. is there anything specific I need to know about this individual before I call them or before I reach out to them? And going the other way too, you want your community team to know that like, oh, this person has talked to a salesperson already or yes. this person has Absolutely. engaged in these other ways with the company. So, Absolutely. okay, I took us down a segue there. I want, I don't want to move away yet from the team because I think that's, I think it's really interesting the way you break that down. So, so your job as a manager makes sense. Your job's to make their lives easier, make them more efficient, mm-hmm. make the systems more efficient. And then you have those four levels. Can you maybe go through those and just describe like what are those, what are the responsibilities of those four different types of community professionals? Sure. So we have this framework um, at Comunda that kind of sets up the types of projects that you can handle as you move throughout your career. And so there's a different scope of work that you're equipped to do, and then there's expectations as well. So part of the path is general expectations of like, you know, you're sourcing feedback from the community or your coworkers. You're able to then source and evaluate that feedback, not just source it, but evaluate it. And then with some assistance, you can present that feedback to the stakeholders. And then the third level is, you know, you're able to source and evaluate and then present it on your own in a clear, concise manner that very clearly gives the the business value. And then the fourth is also cool. You can do all of those things, but then also when you're asked for feedback about specific products or projects or programs, you're able to identify the key people in the community who can provide that feedback if it's not already something that we have in our systems. And so each of them really build on each other. The four main categories that I kind of evaluate people on, there's functional skills. So how knowledgeable are you in your particular focus area with regard to the product or project or program that you are responsible for, as well as the other stakeholders in the company? 
The second is delivery. Are you able to deliver topics of an appropriate level of complexity, which is kind of that scope that I was referring to earlier, in an autonomous way? And so really, you know, not only implementation, so meeting delivery expectations and things like that, but also transparency. Do people know where you're at on a project at any given time. And the biggest thing with that for me, and part of the reason why I made that its own attribute line, is because like I said, like we're literally scattered all over the globe. We've got 19 hours of of time zones between us. And so I need to know, here's the status of this getting started tutorial that we're working on because someone from the community just said, hey, I could really use this and I need to know, hey, can I promise that to them in a week or a month or is that going to be two quarters from now? And so being able to make that progress transparent and proactively clarifying the expectations and then committing to that realistic amount of work is really important because we're interacting with so many different people and we're really kind of that hub of the wheel where we're not only talking to our team, but also other teams within the company and also outbound to the community. The third one is teamwork. Do you know how and when to ask for and offer assistance? And are you able to clearly communicate those decisions and status updates? So that relates back to the communication and collaboration side of things. So not only are you able to communicate clearly as far as you know, blog posts or conference talks and things like that go, are you actively working toward improving those areas that you're not as strong in? But also, are you able to help your teammates? Are you able to help other people throughout the company overcome obstacles of certain complexities depending on what your level is at that time? Um, and then the last one is leadership, which relates back to the thought leadership conversation that we had at the very beginning. So that has... You know, how are you using your influence both internally at Comunda and also then in the broader technical community through mentoring that also addresses empathy? So making sure that, you know, you have a desire to represent the company well, but also represent the community with respect and compassion. And then a big piece here is knowing the difference between a one-on-one conversation with a trusted coworker or community member versus a public statement, whether it's online or in person. And being able to kind of navigate that line, because we really are, we're spokespeople for the company. We're not on the PR team, (laughs) but we're spokespeople. And so being able to know like, hey, if I'm having a one-on-one conversation with a community member that I know really, really well, and he's really invested in the the roadmap and they're not going to say anything about it, like maybe I can explain to them in further depth why we couldn't decide to go in this direction at this quarter versus if I'm talking at a conference and someone asks me a question on stage, like, I need to know what the company line is for why we made a certain decision to go one way and not another. But then it's also really effectively and efficiently supporting your team as well as other teams throughout the company to navigate challenging situations within the community. Because that's something that we as community managers and as developer relations professionals run into, right? You run into these difficult conversations throughout the community that you then have to navigate and figure out like, okay, we got some really harsh feedback. Is How do we handle this? How do we respond to it in a way that's respectful and meaningful and that doesn't lose those super passionate community members, but also establishes those boundaries? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one is influence. So building and fostering relationships with with relevant parties, actively engaging with other teams at Comunda, but then also as you work your way up or as you go along the path, collaborating with other companies outside as well. So focusing on things that are going to help mm. the larger tech community or the larger developer relations community through mentorship, through influence, through sharing your experience. Love it. There are five characteristics, right? Four main categories and then attributes within that. So I've got a blog post. I'll shoot the the link over. I kind of walked through what those are, but then also why why I came up with those particular ones and how they're all meaningful. Where can people find that? Uh, On my blog, marythingwell.com, and in the show notes as well, I'm assuming. Yes, we will include in the show notes, but I want to make sure they get the shout out too. Appreciate it. I guess real quick on that, we'll move to our last couple questions. So how do you determine all of that? Because a lot of that seems kind of subjective. There is some of it that's subjective. Um, when I was working through this, I actually sat down with my manager, the CTO, and walked through like, okay, I need to be able to figure out ways to have people prove this, right? How, if I go to my team and go, cool, tell me what which category you fall or which level you fall into. Like They need to be able to say, I fall into this level because... X, Y, and Z. And so there's a lot of things that 
you can point to where, you know, are you able to source and evaluate feedback? Like, is that something that you're actively doing? Is that, are you bringing feedback to that product manager? Are you bringing feedback to the team? Are you coming to me and saying, hey, I got this feedback. How do I present this to the stakeholders? So there's ways that we can kind of dig deeper into each of these categories, depending on the specific role of that person within the team. Hmm. And it is a little more generic because I very specifically made it so that it fits the variety of roles on my team, not just this is the developer advocate path or this is the program manager path or the community manager path, but it fits a variety of roles that can be represented across the developer relations team. Yeah. I mean, everything you just described, you can apply to any job, actually. Yeah. It's not specific to community at all. So I love that. I'm totally definitely going to digest that blog post as soon as I can. Yeah, please. I think the the way that it's really specific to developer relations or community management is that it's not just, you know, are you the go-to person for this product within the company, but are you the go-to person within the community? Do people in our community know, hey, I go to David with questions about this thing, Mm -hmm. or I go to, you know, Mauricio with questions about this thing, like, do I go to Sarah with these questions? Like you can, you know, this is the person that I go to and rely on for this information. Mm-hmm. And it's broader than just, does everyone on my team know that I know those things, but mm-hmm. am I being vocal enough about that and distributing content about these topics so that people externally know I'm the face of this project externally, as well as I'm the person who can be trusted for valuable feedback and I'm not going to get upset if you bring me harsh feedback and I'm going to work with you to make sure that that gets communicated back internally and I'm going to advocate on your behalf for that to be accepted. Love it. I'd love to hear kind of like what's your what's your like special sauce for community engagement? Like when you when you're teaching your community managers or a client and they're like great like get the business context and get like what the goals are in the general framework. But Mm -hmm. what do I actually do to get people to engage and be excited about what we're doing and show up and form relationships? Do you have like three tips that come to mind (laughs) to put you on the spot? Uh, That's like your special sauce for building community. So I don't know if this is my special sauce necessarily, but the biggest recommendation that I always make is don't just try to bring people to your platform or to your your forum, go out and find where people are. Because not only does that make it easier when you're then trying to create your own like proprietary community, but also then you're starting to get to know where do those people hang out? Who are the people that we're actually invested in? Who are the people we want to be engaging with on a regular basis? But then also what topics are they talking about? What questions are they asking? Because figuring out where they're already hanging out, going to where they are, doesn't just mean, hey, we're going to go over there and we're going to invite them back here. It's go there, hang out there, lurk for a while, learn a lot, and then contribute back. Because you're not just an ambassador for that company, you're a member of the community. And so making sure that you know enough information about what what they're talking about to at least be able to say, cool, here's the next question. I might not know who to point you to, but I know the questions to ask to figure out who I can at least send you to next to get an answer to your question or to, you know, refer you to a different set of blog posts or whatever it is. And people start to see that you're there as an authentic part of the community, not just, hey, everybody, let's head over here now wait, why is no one coming? But but aren't you interested? We're, we're having a great conversation over here. It's like, no, they're already having great conversations. Mm-hmm. Don't necessarily pull them away from where they are. Why do they need to move? So I think just being being a part, an intentional and authentic part of the community that you're trying to attract is a big part of it. Because once they see that you're intentional and authentic, they're going to want to be a part of the conversations that you're having. 100%. And then once you've kind of established yourself there, figuring out who are the leaders here and talking to them about like, hey, what are the needs that aren't met by this community? What are the things that are lacking? Because you might be able to identify some of those pieces that you can use to make your community stand out. And by having some of those leaders of those communities come with you... (laughs) Then everyone who's following those leaders goes, oh, wait, no, there's a new community that everyone else is going to. And it's not just 
you know, that weirdo from this one company who showed up here one day and said, you should all join me over here. Like, yes, I, I will absolutely that. go over there. I love that. And I hate that because I see people do that in the CMX community. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They, they yeah. like whisk away our, our like top members or experts to mm-hmm. like their events and their community. I'm like, Hey, yeah, those are our Wait leaders, <laughs> but we don't know them. They could do whatever they want. Um, exactly. And I had a little idea when you were talking, something jumped out at me. You had said like, yeah, those people will be, they'll be like learners or, or, and then you corrected and said lurkers. And I thought, wouldn't it be awesome (laughs) if we called them learners instead of lurkers? Right. Lurkers is such a weird term that we use in community to describe Mm -hmm. people. It's like, you're, you're, you might as well just call them creepers. Right. But like, no, they're just (laughs) learning. They're just taking it in. So I propose we change lurkers to learners. I love it. Let's do it. All right. It's official. Boom. See, language. Language matters. Yes. Language matters. Absolutely. All right. You ready for the rapid fire question round? Ooh, uh, I think so. I think whether or not I'm ready, we're doing it's it. It's happening. Right? So. so ready or not, here we go. All right. All right. Let's go. Favorite book? Uh, The Prestige. Ooh. Yeah. Tell me more. It's a good one. Like, oh. Is that like the movie? So the movie is based on the, the book. The movie is based on the book. Come on. Well. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was like a self-help book that had the same name. That's, that's fair. That's fair. No, the prestige is the prestige is awesome. Otherwise, anything written by Jodi Picoult is is top on my list. Why is that your favorite? She book? has it. Oh, so Jodi Picoult is one of my favorite authors because she has a fascinating way of making you think that you agree with what she's saying at the beginning of the book, and then by the time you get to the end, you're questioning everything. <laughs> And it sounds very esoteric, but it's very true. There have been so many times when I have started reading one of her books and gone, oh, okay, we're going in this direction. And then halfway through, you realize you're facing the opposite direction than you were when you started. And then you get to the end and you're just like, wait, but what is my viewpoint on this really like super important political topic or this super important, you know, personal choice that people are making? Like it's. Wow. Her books are amazing. I love so, that. Okay. Yeah. I love yeah. those kinds of books. Yes. You think you're just reading a nice story and then it like changes right? your mindset on everything. Yeah. I think The Prestige does the same thing, which is why I like it. So. I mean, the movie was just great. In a more, so I'm sure the book is better because it always is. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. Question two. Who's someone up and coming that you love following right now and other people should follow? Um, That's a great question. Can we come back to it? We can come back to it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Third question. What's your favorite city? Oh, geez. I do love San Francisco, which is where I live now. Um, favorite city that I've ever traveled to and visited would probably be Paris. Every time that I've been there, I've just had such a great time walking around and exploring and seeing new things. And it's it's fun. It's a fun city to get lost in. Anything about Paris that you know of that's like off the beaten path? Oh, that's a great question. Like what makes it special to you? I think... There's just, there's always cool little out of the way hidden things to find. Like I love walking it because there's so many little alleyways and so many random shops. And the last time we were there, actually, there's, we ran into several different shops that are run by Americans who now live in Paris. And so it was a fun little niche of like, Oh, okay. We walked into a wine shop that said they had wine classes in English, which was awesome because trying to describe what type of wine you want in a language you don't speak is mm-hmm. not a fun conversation to have. Um, but just little little things like that that we met. We've met so many cool people in so many just out of the way random. Let's turn down this street adventures. Love it. Yeah. What's your top self care activity? Closing down my computer. Mm. <laughs> Uh, that's, just, uh, that's actually a legit thing. Just walking away. Yeah. Especially working yeah. from home. Yes. And especially these days, I think it's so easy to be drawn into what's the latest news, what's the you know latest thing that's happening, what's the thing that I need to be up to date on. And it's just like, no, sometimes you just, you just got to walk away. Yeah. I like to, uh, what I started to do, if, if I'm sticking to the commitments I make, is actually like put the computer away, like put it into the drawer mm. and hide it away from sight. Yes. And like, I feel different. Cause I also live in a one bedroom in San Francisco. So I work in mm-hmm. my living room and even when Oof. I close it, it's, it's like, a, it's like a presence, you know, Calls to you. it's there. You feel, 
the electricity, yeah. the electricity pulsing and calling you to it. Yeah. And so putting it away and out of sight makes me feel actually more like, oh, I'm more relaxed now. I don't have to think about work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that one. I'm going to go back to the one you skipped. If you yes, have you thought totally of fair. someone because I <laughs> I have to finish on my usual last question, but anyone up and coming or just anyone that you like following right now that you're really digging their content. Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say I don't know if she's up and coming per se, but Sherry Rohde, mm. um, who I know you know. Sherry's awesome. Uh I've known her for years through the community and just she's she's also taking some courses in I'm probably going to butcher it, but basically taking courses to be a, a registered counselor, registered psychologist. Um, and so the content that she's been putting out lately is just this fantastic mix of community building and self-care mm. and... Uh, That's my jam. Kind of cherry picking the news and it's just, it's been, it's been really, really good. So I really enjoyed her content lately. Great recommendation. All right, final rapid-fire question. If today was your last day on Earth, what would your Twitter-length advice be to the world? Hmm. I think focusing on the things that you know you won't regret. I think that's, which I know is super generic, but <laughs> I think is super specific to each person. So doing things that you know are going to be leaving on a good note and making you smile and making you you happy, but also taking those risks that you wouldn't normally take because you're worried about the, the potential outcome. So things mm, that you wouldn't... But how do you know if you'll regret it? But it's your last day. So it's all the stuff that you've said, like put off doing because you're worried no, about this the, is, I, the I got to clarify the question. This is your last day and you're giving the advice. But I don't know it. Oh, it's my last, your last day. day. I'm your, so oh. this is this basically it's like if you could condense all your wisdom that you've collected in your life and you wanted to give that to the people who are going to okay. live on in the okay. world, what would Slightly that be? Slightly different. Take chances. Don't, <laughs> That's the opposite don't of the safe. advice you gave before. I love I it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but see, if you if you have played it safe all your life and it's your last day, then you need to do those things. That, take chances. That, right. Why, why is but that take, your advice? Take chances. Because I think too often we aren't willing to push the boundaries. And I think some of the most rewarding things that have happened in my life have happened because I've taken a chance and and pushed pushed myself or gone back to ask just one more question or made sure that I've truly clarified the answer and and perhaps pushed one more time to see if I can, you know, push an idea through or reconcile something. And so taking those chances more often than not pays off. And even when it doesn't, it at least answers questions that I would have had had I not done it otherwise, which is why my original advice was like, do things that you know you would regret not doing. Mm, Got it. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Great way to close. Mary, where can people find you and continue to learn from you? Sure. So Twitter is probably the best spot uh, as far as getting a hold of me. You can find me Mary underscore Grace is my Twitter handle. MaryGrace.community is also my website or MaryThingwell.com. They redirect to the same place, but I'm not going to require you to spell my last name. So MaryGrace.community. And your book? The Business Value of Developer Relations. That's it. Yes. Yes. Highly Which recommend relevant picking it up. whether you're in DevRel or community. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Mary, really just want to express some gratitude for you. And you've always been uh, an amazing friend and member of the CMX community and someone that I've learned a ton from and so willing to share and teach others. And um, I think you and I align on a lot of our thinking about community and, and the work that we do in this profession. So just really grateful to have your voice in the space and, and all the hard work that you've put into shaping the space as well. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on the podcast and continue to share your wisdom. Really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. See you all next time.